we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Yeah, you may be seated. Hello, everybody. So glad you're here. Those in the house, online, True Worth, uh, the bridge in the sanctuary. Man, what an honor it is for us to be assembled together uh, in worship. And if you are new, uh, however you have connected with us, we are so glad that you are here. If you're in this physical space itself, I'll be out in the crossing afterwards. I, I, would really, I really don't say this a lot. I say this every week, and I mean it. I would love to meet you. I really would love to meet you. Uh, hear a little bit about your story and have a connection. But not just me, other staff would love to do the same thing. Again, we'll thank you that you're here. Uh, we're in the third week of a message series we're calling The Perfect Fit. And here's kind of what we're doing. We're looking at four areas of our life. That's where we're going to go, four areas of our life of what we really think that God wants us to be healthy. God wants us to be fit. And we started this whole thing uh, talking about our, our spiritual fitness. And we looked at four indicators of what it means to be spiritually fit. Last week, we talked about being financially fit, a major part of our life. What, what does the Bible have to say about being fit financially? Now, next week's Labor Day weekend, so we're going to do something about our work life. And what does it mean in our work life, according to the Word, to be really fit and healthy in this area that we spend so much time in? But this morning, we're hitting on a subject that's dear to all of us. We're going to talk about relationships. What does it look like to be fit relationally? So when you came in, if you don't have one yet, you should have gotten one of these little cards, and we're going to ask you to evaluate yourself. I'm going to give you a question for each one of these fitness indicators that you will then evaluate yourself on how well you are doing on each one of these, and this is going to be in any area of your life. Marriage is one of them, but it doesn't have to be marriage. It can be anything. Now, speaking about marriage, I just kind of want to share something with you I'm so excited about. Last week, we launched something called Re-Engage. And this is a, for married couples who want to get their marriages stronger. And it, it was maxed out. There's no room. Even if you wanted to right now, you cannot go sign up for it. But we're going to do it again the next year and the next year. So I just kind of share that with you for your awareness. Now, when you go to a doctor to ask them to evaluate your physical health, sometimes you go and you get great news, better than you thought. Sometimes you go and you get worse news than you thought. I know this morning as we go through these indicators, some of you, you're going to get some pretty good news and go, all right. Some of you are going to go, oh, no. <laughs> so we need to pray. God, we come here before you seeking your wisdom, your guidance, your help in navigating these very interesting things called relationships that we individually can get healthy, we can get fit in what it means to be in relationship with others. So before we even open your word and read what you have to say about this subject, God, uh, we're telling you we're asking for a touch of your Holy Spirit uh, because we're, we're not enough on our own unless you come. So I'm asking again, God, for you to come. And not just here in this physical space, God, but online, at the bridge, wherever someone is gathered with pathway at this time on this morning, wherever they are in life, 
And God, even before we go there, I, I must just ask God, I, I got to push the pause button, God. And I, I ask you to just please, God, help, help us, help our world. Just make people aware of yourself, your, your saving love, your helping hand in Afghanistan. In the middle of those families that are grieving, those in Afghanistan, or those children, but God, also those here at home whose kids, whose young sons are nothing but kids that died this past week, God, that serve us bringing peace around the world. And just help us, God, to figure this thing out, to know how to treat each other well. And let it begin with us, with the work you do on us in this time together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to begin for asking for a show of hands, and the show of hands is how many of you uh, struggle, have ever had a struggle with someone in your life, ever had a problem with a person in your life? I want to see a show of hands. That's almost everybody. How many have a problem with the person sitting next to you right now? You've had a problem with them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you have a problem that the person sitting next to you right now said they have a problem with you? Yeah. 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 Because they're the problem, right? Here's the fact of the matter. We all have problems in our relationships. We all do. We all have a different story. We all come from different perspectives on life and this thing called relationships. And some of you here are so worshiping online this morning. You're here. Uh, you're joining us uh, in the middle of the week. Somehow God led you to find this, this cast, whatever. And you're a regular worshiper. You're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. You are, you are just dialed into this relationship with God through Jesus. And there are some of you here that are gathered here in the space and online and all these different places that you are exploring faith. You're not even sure if you believe in God and you're not even sure if you like the church. In fact, there's some of you that are watching this right now from your home because you're not sure you want to be at the church because you're not even sure you like the church and I get it and, and, I, and I understand that. And you're not even sure if, you're, if there is a God and you're here and I want you to know you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. You're, we're glad you're connected with us. And then there, there are some of you here uh, because you're visiting family, and you're from out of town. Uh, you're here in the physical space, and you're from out of town, and you came up to see family. And after you were with your crazy family for about 24 hours, you had to get out of the house and just come to church to hide from your family. Because you say, I don't know if I can stand it any longer. And um, that's why you're here, to get away from somebody. We all have different stories and different things in our life. We're, we're, we're different. All of us here are different about this subject matter. But there's one thing we all have in common. We all want to have better relationships. Every single one of us want our relationship to get better. It's a universal thing. You're married, and your relationship is pretty good. But you, know, you, know, you think, you know, over here, if I'm honest, if I evaluate myself, I really want to get better here. Or maybe you're, you have a family, you have kids, and you go, you know what, our, our family's pretty good. Our family works pretty well. The parenting thing, uh, the parents go, yeah, the kids are pretty good. And the kids go, you know, my parents are pretty good. But then you think about it, you go, yeah, but, but I want to get better here. Or maybe you're someone that's a widow or a widower. Maybe you're here and you're divorced. 
and you still had this need to have a sense of belonging for someone to really know you, to feel connected to, someone to love you, and for someone for you to love and give of yourself. Maybe, maybe, maybe that is you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're single. And you're not, you really don't even care about worship. You're in a space. You don't care about worship. You're just going to go hang out around the coffee bar as long as you can and put out the vibe. You know what I mean by the vibe? Yeah. Available. All right, all right. Because we all know the original dating app was not eHarmony. It's the church. The church is the original dating and matchmaking app. And so some of you are here just hoping to meet someone of like mind or of like heart. But the truth of the matter is every single one of us want to have better relationships. Because all the research shows, and some of you have already discovered it, That happiness, that real happiness, will not come through your achievement. It will not come through your wealth. It will not come through your success. That true happiness and joy in your life, my life, will come through long-lasting, deep, meaningful relationships. That's why around here we talk so much about why we worship together, serve together, and grow together. The good stuff happens when you're together. That's why we talk so much around here about being in a small group. Because when you're in a small group with other people who know you and understand you and like you, even though there are things about you, There's something that happens in that dynamic, and I will tell you, now's a good time to think about signing up for a small group, because on the weekend of September 18th and 19th, we're starting the message series. We're on the weekend. We're going to talk about some stuff, and our small groups are going to talk about it, All a video small to kind of lead the guy the whole group. If you're in a small group, we're going to ask the whole body to be a part of this. It's a great time to be a part of, but we know that when we're in together in relationship, good stuff happens. Now, some of us here in this room need to face another truth. The truth is we all want our relationship to get better, but here's another truth. We will all do something in the coming week to compromise our relationships. Face the facts, you and I will make choices this week. That will sabotage the very thing that we say we want to get better. Some of us here will again this week work very, 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 very long, 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 long hours and longer than necessary hours and will neglect the people that we say we love and care for the most. Some of us this week will get engaged in conflict And we'll love it. We'll like it. We'll yell. We'll scream. We'll try to set them right. We'll try to fix them. Some of us this week will avoid conflict altogether. I don't want to talk about it. I want to ignore it, just hoping it's all going to go away. Some of us will gossip about a spouse, a child, a friend, or so-called friend. Some of us will manipulate someone. We will use someone for our own benefit and our own good. 
Every single one of us this week will be faced with choices to make that will hurt or help our relationships. Now, here's the irony. Everybody here in some ways thinking in some way, you think, well, I'll be the exception. I'm the exception. Hey, I I can work the long hours. I I can work the long hours, and it it won't really ever really impact my marriage. It won't. I cannot show up for that kid's game or for that classroom thing. I cannot show up to help with that homework. I cannot show up to put my son or daughter in bed. I cannot show up, but our family will be okay. I'm the exception. You're not the exception. Nobody's the exception. In fact, I will tell some of us right here in the room that need to hear this right now. And this weekend, we're having a hard, kind of a tough conversation, kind of a sensitive conversation, I know. There are some of us here, if we do not make some changes in how we live our life and how we interact with other people, you will wake up one day and you will discover you're not the exception because you'll be alone and your kids won't come home. And you won't have a job, or you'll have nobody working for you. Because none of us are the exception when it comes to relationships. So I'm going to be asking you to take this very seriously this morning. If you're online, they're going to help you. You can download it, I think. You can print it off. I'm going to ask you when I give these questions to you to fill in every question. Fill it in. These fitness indicators, I'm going to give you a question, and then you evaluate yourself and get honest because I'm telling you, there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. Now, if you want to you double down this experience, if you're in the house especially, but you can do it at home. If you're at home, you can do this. You know, you really can't evaluate. You can evaluate yourself pretty good on your spiritual health, maybe in your financial health, but can you really evaluate yourself truthfully, honestly, well on your relationship health? So if you really wanted to be, be testy and brave and you're married or you're dating someone or your adult kids with you, you let them fill this card out on you. In fact, you can just switch cards with each other right now and say, you fill it out on me. I'll fill it out on you, and then we'll go have lunch (laughs) and have a real conversation. Or you can fill it out on yourself and this significant person, wherever they are, and then you match it up, and then you can talk about it. But if you really want to get serious about this, I'm going to give you a tool. You can do some real work. So here's our scripture. Let's start from right here. Here's where we have the six indicators. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Pick it up at verse 12. Here we go. Here's the fitness indicators. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion. That's the first one. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, I'm just going to say, this is easy to read, hard to execute. So get ready. 
for some tender, very painful stuff as we learn some stuff about ourselves, what the Bible has to say to help us in this endeavor. Now, our first indicator right, you see right there, and if you have the little card there, it's compassion, or you notice it's compassion. Now, Paul, interesting, that Paul's using the same word in the Greek that's used, get this, for bowels or guts. <laughs> wow. Paul, that's a real pleasant image. Thank you for getting that picture in my head. Here's what I think he's doing. Paul is saying, here's a gut check. Do you really have compassion for other people? Gut check. And Paul's saying, I'm not talking about the people that you're close to. I'm not talking about the people that you love. I'm not talking here about your marriage. Before you can even get to talk about relationship health there, you got to ask yourself, do I generally have this compassion in my gut for my first reaction to people when I see them? Somebody's walking down your street. What's your first gut reaction? Do you go, how dare they? Or do you wonder about, oh, when you see someone who doesn't believe like you believe, when you're a masked person, you see someone not wearing a mask. You're someone not wearing a mask, you see someone wearing a mask. Someone that's the opposite of you. What's your first gut check response? Judgmentalism? Criticism? You see something on television of someone who's done something, believes something, total opposite of you. What is your first gut response or reaction to them? Pointing the finger? Anger, judgmentalism, or compassion? What is your primary posture toward other people? Pointing the finger or compassion about where they are in life, of their need for belonging, their need for healing, their need for forgiveness, their need for truth, their need for somebody in their life. Now, what's interesting here is that in Matthew chapter 9, we see how this plays out in the life of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus comes across a group of people. It says, a crowd of people, verse 36, he sees a crowd. A lot of folks who don't believe like he does, a lot of folks who don't look like he does, a lot of folks who don't live their life like he does. And the scripture says he looked upon them and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So let me ask you again, when you see people just in general, what is your first response? Criticism, judgment, condemnation, pointing out what's wrong, a sense of compassion for the need that they may have in their life of something's wrong. What do they need? Now, they are hiring, and the loser alert, they're hiring at DFW. They need more people, employees at DFW, particularly in the area of customer service. I'm, I'm just saying. Any of you been out to customer service, had, uh, DFW flying? Has anybody had a flight delayed? Anybody had a flight get so messed up, you had to get in another line to try to find out if you get on another flight to finally get home and get to your destination, right? And, and you, got, you go to customer service to ask for direction and help. Will you all agree with me that the people who stand in that line are the most angry, tired, upset, worn out, frazzled people in the world? Would you agree with that? Probably those are the people that are customer, who go to customer service desk. So this person, 
person, I'll just say person, goes out to apply for a job at a customer service desk. And they ask her, they say, tell me, uh, what, your strength and your weaknesses. Well, I can do this, I can do this. No, Terry, I can do almost anything. Uh, almost anything. But my weakness is, I'm not really a people person. <laughs> That's why everything is so messed up at the airport. That's why it's so hard to get anything done. And it made me have to ask the question. And here's your question right here for compassion. Am I really a people person? That's the question. I'm asking myself, Rick, are you really a people person? It's not, are you an extrovert because you like to be around people? Not that you get energy off of people because you're all social. But I mean, really, at your core, core of your being, are you a people person? Do you just like people because they're people? Now, this is very important because God is a people person. All people matter to God. People on the left, people on the right. People who talk like this, people who talk like that. People who like this kind of music, people who like that kind of music. People always say that, that the Cowboys are America's team, they're God's team, right? The whole, when the old hole in the roof years ago. God cheer for the Cowboys. I will tell you, God cheers even for the Philadelphia Eagles. He doesn't like it, but he has to. He's God. Because actually, there are people. So let me ask you, at the fundamental core of your being, are you a people person? This is the litmus test of someone who is fit relationally, first of all, just for people in general. Do you see them like sheep, helpless without a shepherd? Or is it judgmentalism and condemnation? So there's the first one. Only you can evaluate yourself, dabbling or devoted. You do it. You can do it now, do it later. You dabble, you closer to that. Oh, man, yeah, I'm all in on that. Here's the second fitness indicator is kindness. Kindness. Kindness is not the same as being nice. Churches are a lot of are filled with a lot of so-called nice church people who do things that really aren't so nice. But they do it under the guise of being nice. So this young lady, she's invited to go to her boyfriend's house. He says, hey, I'm going to bake you a cake. And she's thrilled to death. He's never baked anything before in her life that she knows it. He goes over there, and she's expecting some big romantic kind of encounter. Maybe he's going to ask her about for a special thing or a romance or engagement or something like that. And she says, he, so she walks in the door. She's all anticipating. He says, uh, hey, I just want you to know, I want to break up. She said, well, why'd you bake the cake? Well, I just wanted to do something nice for you so you wouldn't feel so bad. That cake wound up in his face. <laughs> she didn't think it was so nice. Sometimes you and I think Christians about being nice and we're not so nice. This word has not about being nice. This word, we misunderstand the reading of this word. When you understand, go back and study the backwards of this word, this word has to do with encouragement. Am I someone who's nice enough to someone to encourage them and to speak life into them to lift them up? In fact, that is the question I would ask you to ask yourself on kindness. Am I an encourager? Am I authentically someone who speaks life into someone and lifts them up? 
John Gottam, a research marriage counselor, there's a lot of research on marriages. He studied couples for an extended period of time on their interaction with each other. And he studied the amount of negative and positive interaction to find out how successful. And he said the number one predictor that a marriage is going to be healthy over the course of time, and some measure of happiness, is that they have at minimal a five-to-one ratio between positive and negative interactions. Not two-to-one, not one-to-one, not one-to-five, five-to-one positive for everyone negative. And they also found that marriages that were really strong, that flourish, 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 20 to 1. Does that convict anybody besides me? 20 to 1. And some of you are thinking, well, pastor, I'm just not wired that way. I just notice everything that's wrong. <laughs> it's a gift. And I just have to point it out. It's my job. I don't know how to do anything else. Church, we're not talking about rocket science here. Don't tell me you can't do this. It's very simply as paying someone a compliment. You can do that. It's the simple thing of laughing when they're laughing or helping someone laugh. That's encouragement. It's actually calling and saying, uh, honey, I'm going to be five minutes late. I'm going to be 30 minutes late. I just want you to know I'm not going to be. I, I just want to let you know where I am. Where I, that's, that's just encouragement. That's saying, I love you. Often. Well, Pastor, I did that last week. And I encourage her when she gets down. I encourage him when he's having a hard day. Then I encourage him. But the scripture says something differently about that. Over here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, 13, it says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is needed, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It's not just when someone needs it. It's a daily part of somebody who's in a healthy relationship. And we see how this plays out in the Scripture. And I will tell you one of the most troubling things I have today about Christians in the church is that Christians are known as the most judgmental, critical people in the world. And that's why so many young adults are staying away from the church in droves. And quite frankly, I don't blame them. We in the church have the best news in the world, and we should be seen as the most encouraging people in the world, not the most discouraging people in the world. You people, them people, and yet that's what we're known for. In the scriptures, in Acts chapter 4, there was a, in the early church, there was a man named Joseph, but his name wasn't Joseph. They'll put it on the screen. They renamed him. They renamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. When Barnabas walked in, they said, hey, there's Mr. Encourager. Let me ask you, when you walk in the room, does your family, do your employees, do they say, there's Mrs. Encourager? There's Mr. Encourager. Or do they think, oh, there's Mr. Discourager. There's Mrs. Discourager. So where do you fit on that fitness scale? Where would your family, where would your spouse, where would your friends say? You dabble or are you devoted? Number three, humility. Humility. 
Humility is not thinking bad about yourself. Humility is not focusing on your shortcomings. And let me say this to somebody who needs to hear this. Humility is not self-deprecation. It is not. Here's what humility is from Philippians. We see this straight from the Word. Chapter 2, Philippians verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking for your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So Paul is saying here that humility is not thinking bad about yourself. It's about thinking less about yourself. Humility. So the question there you're going to ask yourself to see how you're doing in this is, am I more others-focused or self-focused? That's the question. In general in my life, do I think more about myself or do I think more about other people for their well-being? When Dallas and I were, were in our first part of our engagement, it was a Sunday afternoon. All I wanted to do was watch the Cowboy game. I had to be back at the work here for a couple of hours. Uh, I was a youth pastor. I worked in the church as associate pastor. It had been a long morning. I just wanted undivided attention from her. She had a test in this day. She had a paper and all this stuff she was working on. I said, babe, can't you just push that aside and focus on me? Can you just stop looking at that? Give me your full undivided attention. And she said something kind of like this. Don't you think that sounds a little selfish? And my response was something like this. Me? Selfish? How can that be? I said, I'm a pastor. I work at a church. Where do you work? <laughs> How do you think that went? It didn't go very well. And here's the irony. I was defending myself for not being selfish, and all I was being was what? Selfish. I just thinking about what I wanted, what I needed, what I want. I wasn't even thinking. I didn't ask, well, honey, can you help me understand why you think that? Why you feel that way? Is there something I could have said differently or done? I didn't do that at all. It was just defense to me. Let me give you a little tidbit about this thing called humility. Your ability to develop humility, there's a direct relationship between humility and intimacy. The more humble you are, the less controlling you are. The less you think about yourself, and the more you think about the other person, the more intimacy, mental, emotional, and physical in a relationship you will have. But the more selfish you are, the more you think about yourself, your needs, your wants, the more you are controlling, you will push away that person, and the less intimacy and closeness you will have. Humility also will prevent you from being quick to judge. Any of you ever been to a, uh, been to a restaurant and you see a couple, they kind of get after it, they kind of having a fight, and you're going, how inappropriate is that? I mean, come on. You're at a grocery store, you see a parent lose it, and they left their best self in their parenting, you go, That's, how awful is that? Anybody ever done that? Everybody have made that a sort of observation? Can, can I just kind of tell you the truth about those, those, those people? Maybe those people are you. Maybe this is us. Those folks already feel enough shame without you and me piling no more. There are people already feel, feel enough shame their marriage is awful without you and me piling no more. 
they, they feel enough shame about being stuck in a marriage, about being divorced. They feel enough shame about their kids being off the reservation. They feel enough shame and guilt without you and me piling it on. And I will tell you, it's easy to pile it on, isn't it? And it's easy to feel guilt and shame. Kind of just make sure we all know a little truth. We're going to put it on the screen. We're all going to say it together at home, true words, down the sanctuary. Let's put it on the screen. Say it with me out loud. Nobody is perfect. That's with humility that I'm admitting I'm not perfect. And neither are you. When all of a sudden you have a humility spirit, it's going to make you kind of pause before... Because I'm not perfect either. Have a sense of humility of thinking about other people instead of just thinking about your own self-righteousness. So what are you doing on that? You be the judge, not me. That's up to you. Here's the fourth one, and that is gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness does not mean being a pushover. It does not mean being passive or passive-aggressive. It does not mean being quiet. I understand there are some relationships where you, it's going to get heated. There are sometimes things that are going to be challenging and difficult. There are sometimes you've got to say the hard thing. But here's the problem. In a relationship, when you have to have a hard conversation, some of us, we get angry. We blow off the handle, and we just kind of, and explode. And I acknowledge that sometimes you have to have those hard conversations. But here's the question I have to ask myself. Am I able to stay tender when I need to be tough? When you have to have a conflict in a hard conversation in a marriage or in a relationship or with your son or your daughter, can you be tender even while you're tough? Jesus could. In John chapter 4, he comes across this woman. We call her the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan, and they kind of have a personal, very heated conversation. Jesus gets very personal. He asks her uh, these very deep questions about herself, things she didn't want anybody else to know. He asked her, verse 16 of chapter 4, hey, go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. He said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Now, I want you to notice something in that exchange. Jesus didn't let her off the hook. He didn't say, no big deal. But neither did he get anger and point his finger at her. He was truthful and tough, but he was tender and gentle. And you're saying, Pastor, sometimes you just have to have the hard, tough conversation with someone. Don't you understand that? Here's what I understand. The more encouraging you are, And the more gentle you are in a hard conversation, the easier it will be to resolve the conflict. But when you flare up and you are, it just complicates and makes it worse and makes it more challenging. So let me ask you, are you gentle? Are you, gee, God is, and I hope you're glad about that. Over here in Psalm chapter 18, there's one little verse, verse 35. We say, God, you make your saving help, you make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. That same word for help in the Hebrew is the same word for humility and gentleness. In other words, your gentleness has made me great. Please hear this. 
You think you're great because of how much you know. You think you're great about how much you can do. But I will tell you, there's only one reason you're great, and that God's been gentle with you. That God has not crushed you. And you want to make other people great? It will not be how smart you are and how sharp you are and how curt you are. It will be how gentle you are when you have the tough, real conversations with them. Dabble or devoted. You make the call. Here's the fifth one. The fifth one is patience. It's the Greek word for long-suffering. This is the time dimension of all relationships. And the question is, am I in it for the long haul? Am I in it for the long haul? Am I in it when it's hard? Am I in it when I want to bail? Am I in it when the easiest thing would be to walk away and leave and get out? Church, I'm so thankful some 37 years ago that my wife didn't walk out because nobody would have blamed her. I was more married to the church than I was to my family. The church is growing and flourishing. My family is growing and flourishing. My family needed me. The church needed me. And I gave of myself to the church. And mentally, emotionally, and physically, for five years, I was really disconnected from my family and what they needed. And nobody would have blamed my wife for saying, to heck with this. I'm grateful for her patient long-suffering till I grew up and figured some stuff out. What about you? I will tell you, sometimes in relationships, they're not always life-giving. A lot of times they are. Sometimes there's lots of light, but sometimes relationships are just downright And that means you carrying somebody else's junk, somebody else's stuff, somebody else's sin, somebody else's struggle, somebody else's difficulty. You have to carry it sometimes. The Scripture says, Colossians 3.13, bear with each other's burdens. And why do you do that? Because Jesus carried your burden. Jesus carried your sin. He carried your struggle. Not because you asked him to, because he loved you on the cross. And because he carried it, was patient with me, we're patient with each other. Long suffering. That does not mean, that does not mean, that does not mean you stay in a toxic relationship. That does not mean you stay in abusive marriage. Do not be going using that. That, 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 That does not mean that. The scripture's given out when that happens. But most of us, we quit too quick. And I'm going to move on. Here's the last one. The last one is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Relationships are hard because forgiveness is hard. And I'm going to make you a promise. Every single person in your life will hurt you. Every single one. And you have a choice to make. Are you going to stay mad and get bitter and resentful? Because anger does not go away over time. It's a choice. Or you choose to forgive. And it's hard. I spoke with a guy who'd been married and divorced now for 20 years. Divorced for 20 years. He still has not forgiven his spouse for what she did. He still has not. He has not. And your soul will not thrive again. It will not thrive. Because God made you. To be free of bitterness and anger and resentment. And if you hang on to it, 
your life will struggle. We forgive not because we're forgiven. We forgive because God, through Jesus Christ, has forgiven us. Not because we deserve it. Not because we ask for it. But because he loved us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. We forgive because we've been forgiven. So I know this is hard. You've got to go through all these things. Compassion, kindness. You know, where am I? 20 to 1, 5 to 1. You know, am I, am I, am I gentle with people when I have to be tough? Uh, do I think about my I know all these are hard. And the last one, the last question that's really, really challenging is, am I really a forgiving person? I've got to wrestle with this. Am I really a forgiving person? Am I so patient? Can I be gentle to hang in there? Um, am I really, or am I, am I just playing joke? I'm, I say I forgive, but I hang on to it. Now, church, I, I will tell you, I almost didn't think I could teach this message this week because I scored so low on every one of these when I did it myself. And I thought, who am I to stand up here and do this? And then I read the last part of that chapter, of that verse again, and I just kind of want to wind this down by reminding you what it says at the end. Verse 14, it says, over all these virtues, over all these six fitness indicators, put on love. And I thought, well, how can I put on love? What do you mean? That just seems something else for me to do. I now now put on love? How can I do that? And I went back to verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And then it went. There's only one way I can do these six things. And that's to let it really sink in. That God loves me. That God loves you. Already. Already. You don't deserve it. You're not good enough. He loves you. So, I told you about that five-year period. Church is growing, flourishing. It's just exploding. My marriage is dying. My family is hurting. I go to my dad and I unload. My dad, my hero, my mentor. And I just laid it all out there. And my dad looked at me and he said, Rick, you're in way over your head. way over your head. But two things I want you to hear from me. Number one is, I love you, son. Number two, I'm just proud to be your dad. Can I tell you something? There's a God right now here looking at you, not me. There's a God who's looking at you from the cross, and here's what he's saying. You're in over your head. I see all your junk, all your stuff, all your issues, all your, you're in over your head. You don't know what to do. Please hear this. I love you. And I'm proud to be your dad. You can do this. I'm going to help you. See, we're patient and compassionate, not because we're patient and compassionate. We're patient and compassionate because he was patient and compassionate with us. Period. So I just want to ask you to kind of get still there for a second. Very sensitive, very tender issue. How fit are you relationally? Where do you need to grow? 
can't grow at all until you receive the incredible greatness of God's love in your life. And just if you need to do that right now, just kind of receive God's love. in it for the long haul. offered to us on the cross. We didn't ask for it. We didn't deserve it. But you chose, you chose to see us and have compassion. Help us to give away what we have received to one more and one more Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.